Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, we are starting today a three-week sermon series, a Christmas sermon series, through just kind of the Advent season, just all called Wonder, and the idea of returning uh, to the wonder and the magic of Christmas um, that we remember back in the day, or at least that we long for at some level. And we're going to be doing this for three weeks, and then we've actually got a Christmas Eve Eve gathering. This will be our first ever time to try that out. I know Christmas Eve is is very popular, uh, especially in San Antonio. But for us, doing setup, tear down, so many of our people traveling, we thought we would, we would gamble a little bit. Let's try and see what Christmas Eve Eve gathering will look like. And then church, go ahead and you'll hear a lot about this later. But I want you to mark your calendars that December 26th, that's the day after Christmas, we will not be gathering here, okay? And the main reason we're doing that is like we've just been going hard all, all year. And sometimes it's nice to actually give the setup and teardown teams and give the staff a bit of a Sabbath to unplug and just get to be with their families in this season. So we've been very intentional with that. And there's a reason we're doing it. So December 26th, we will not be having a gathering. So we encourage you, spend time with your family, love them, lead them well, uh, and to maybe a really special Christmas little hangout for you guys. So cool. So just know that. Um, and I, I, I'm excited I'm really excited about this season because I love, love, love Christmas. Like it is my favorite holiday uh, by far. Um, if my wife would let me, we would have decorated right after Halloween. Uh, we'd be listening to Christmas music since July. Like I, I am into it, and I think it's just it's filled with magic. And I, I can already I, I hear it, I, I sense it. Like some of you, you purist, like that right now. Like there's a part of you that's like, well, wait, 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 man, come on. What about Thanksgiving? Like you can't just bypass Thanksgiving. And to me, Thanksgiving is a lot like John the Baptist. It's just the predecessor of something much greater to come. <laughs> and so he just is making the way. And uh, and so I think it's like it's almost like NFL preseason. You know, it kind of counts, but really you're you're looking forward to what's really to come. And so, and if Thanksgiving had its own music, then we could talk. But I love love Christmas. And as a kid, I remember going to Christmas tree farm uh, with my family. And my family picking out a Christmas tree and my brother and I getting to try to kind of cut this thing down. And eventually dad would have to step in and help. I remember getting the tree home and us decorating it with all these homemade Christmas ornaments while Bing Crosby's White Christmas played in the background and the house filled with my mom baking special treats and cookies. I remember watching It's a Wonderful Life and driving down all the streets of our neighborhood and looking at the Christmas lights throughout the season. And I remember staring at presents under the tree I mean, for what felt like hours, and even at times when the parents slipped out of the room, you'd take it and you'd shake it and try to guess what was inside of the gift. The whole season is wrapped in magic and filled with wonder. Now, sadly, for many of us, as we enter into adulthood or the further we get into adulthood, much of that wonder is replaced with worry. 
that statistics would say over surveys over the course of the last, really, five, six years, uh, say that about 80% of Americans, four out of five Americans, are dreading the holidays. That they actually experience high levels of anxiety and worry that aren't there the rest of the year. And so all of a sudden, stress creeps in, and it kind of overwhelms us, and the worry replaces the wonder of the season. And this may be the stress of party planning and attending. It's maybe busier schedules and heavier workloads. It's the stress of more cooking and more cleaning. It's the financial strain. It's maybe all the stress of trying to get the perfect gift for that someone. Or maybe it's the traveling or the stress and the worry about gaining weight during the holidays or being with family, some of them that you don't like. And in this political kind of very like divisive culture that we're in, like family can be even harder. Or maybe it's just living up to the unrealistic expectations and hype that you've placed onto this season. And it's even all of this stress has even gained for itself uh, a name that we call it the holiday blues. Or you maybe catch yourself saying things like, I'm just not in the Christmas spirit. And if it gets really bad, someone looks at you and says, stop being a Grinch. Like this, this whole Christmas season has always been wrapped in a childlike wonder and anticipation. And then somewhere in the journey, Many of us lost the gift of wonder and it gets replaced with worry, stress, and anxiety. So here's what I want to attempt to do today. I want to answer the question, what do we do or how can we restore the wonder? How do we, how do we get back to that place? And then secondly, where does the wonder lead? What's, what's the point of it all? Okay. So that, that's, that's, that's the attempt. That's what we're going for, okay? So we're going to start with how do we restore wonder? Well, we just read, Georgia just read Luke chapter 1. And it's the, kind of the beginning of the Christmas story where the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's pregnant and that she's going to give birth to the coming Messiah, okay? And, and this is what's crazy is this is the very first confirmation of the coming Messiah that we have. It's the very first confirmation. Now, throughout the entire Old Testament, there's been whispers, whispers of this moment, whisper that there's a hero that's coming, but this is the first confirmation that we get. Like, I'll give you just a few. There's a lot. I'm not going to give you that many. Uh, all the way at the very beginning, the first two pages, Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve have looked at God and said, hey, thank you, but no thanks. We're going to kind of do this on our, on our, kind of our own turf, our own ways. Sin enters the world, it fractures it, it breaks it, puts this huge chasm between us and God. But God begins to make a promise that it's not going to stay like this. That one day soon, I'm going to send a hero that's going to make all the sadness untrue. That's going to restore everything that was broken back to what it was meant to be. We see that in, in Genesis chapter 3, this promise that one day a hero is showing up. And you see this all throughout the scripture. Almost every page whispers, of, like and builds anticipation for this Jesus to show up. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah the prophet would say, hey, just to give you some clues. He's like, he's dropping breadcrumbs. This Messiah, he's going to be born of a virgin. 
Another breadcrumb, they're going to call him Emmanuel, meaning God's with us. He's no longer distant. He's right here in your midst. He's accessible. He's coming to you. Isaiah 9 would say this, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 would tell us that he's going to be born uh, in, a, in a small city, even tells us the name. It's Bethlehem is where he's going to be born. That in the Old Testament, that there are over 324 prophecies, man, pointing to and whispering that the Savior's going to come. And all of this, and even get, like, think about this, getting into Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, between Malachi and Matthew, the New Testament, there are 400 years of silence. And it's like, it's like all of this buildup, all of these stories, all of this whisper, and then all of a sudden, it's like there's this giant pregnant pause in the conversation that builds anticipation. And in Luke 1, the passage that we just read, the silence is broken, and there's a promise that's made. The angel comes to a young teenager and says that you, you, you've been chosen. Like you found favor with God and you're going to have a son, the son that for roughly 7,000 years, if not a lot more, people have been anxiously awaiting. And here it is, the time is now, the anticipation is like coming up to a climax and you're going to have a son that's going to save and change the world. Now, here's what I want to look at. What's Mary's response? What's her response to this, this news? And I know this is really hard, but I want you to imagine putting yourself into the situation, to put, like, put yourself into the shoes of Mary, a young 13, maybe 14-year-old girl who's heard the story along with millions of other Jews about the coming Savior, and you're hoping maybe that in your lifetime you're going to see it. You're engaged to a man, which was in that culture, like, I mean, it's very similar to our culture, but the only difference was it was like legally binding. And so she's engaged, and all of a sudden an angel comes to her and says that you're found favor and you're going to have a son who's going to be the savior of the world. And I mean, her first response is like, how, how is that even humanly possible? Like, I, I, I've never had sex. I've never, like, me and Joe, like, th that's not possible. And all of a sudden, the story you see is wrapped in curiosity and mystery and questions and a little bit of confusion and a lot of wonder. A lot of wonder. And the Christmas season has always been wrapped in wonder and anticipation. That even this season that we're entering into, that we entered into last weekend, is we call it Advent. And for many of us, if you, if you didn't grow up around the church like me, Advent meant nothing. I didn't know what that was. It, the Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which just means the coming. The coming. Or maybe even like the, the, the anticipated arrival but notice this, it's not saying the already came. It's saying the coming, meaning there's this, this anticipation that's, that's building, that's built in. And Advent is designed by nature to create wonder in our lives. 
as we sit in a season of waiting and anticipation. Okay. If you think about this, like it's not far-fetched. Like you think about being a kid. The build-up and the wonder of Christmas was all in the anticipation. I mean, you think about the months leading up to Christmas Day. That night before Santa shows up and how you cannot sleep. It's the one night, or the one morning, rather, I say this, parents know this, uh, that your kids are up at like 5.30 a.m. And they're ready to rock and roll. Because of all the anticipation and the excitement, it builds in and wonder begins to grow. And so Mary, along with all the other Jewish people, are going to get caught up in the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And for Mary... This anticipation leads to wonder. Now, I'm going to pause for a little bit. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by this concept of wonder. And for those of you that we, we haven't had a chance to meet or hang out, uh, before uh, us planting uh, the rim two years ago, uh, my full-time occupation was I traveled uh, professionally as a magician. Um, or illusionist for the Christians that are here today. And um, I, man, ever since I was young, I mean, I loved it, watching Copperfield on TV, like getting just swept up into it. And, and what I love about that part of my life and that occupation is that you get to step into a moment and you help create wonder for everyone that's in the audience. Like that's the point. To be able to pull something off that all of a sudden uh, people can't quickly Google and try to figure out the, the answer. That all of a sudden they're left without an answer and they're left to wonder. Like, what a powerful, beautiful gift. The problem I'm learning is that most of us actually don't like to feel wonder. Case in point, if someone does a trick and you immediately go, I, I want to know how that works. That, that response is you going, I don't like this feeling that I feel of wonder and mystery and not having the answer, and I need the answer. I need something concrete. So we press into it, and the reason is is because wonder makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel small, like we're not in control. But it is wonder that allows us to have our whole world expanded and experience God the way he desires to be. But we've lost it. In our culture, we lost wonder. And a big piece of that is you can pull out your phone, and like we said earlier, you can Google search anything. Like everything that you want to know is just is quick. There's very little that you don't understand. Think about just even maybe two centuries ago, like our grandparents, great-great-grandparents, would go outside at night, and they would look up at the sky, and, and those nights where it feels like the Milky Way, you could almost touch it, all of those stars. And, and, in, and in that moment, there was this wonder that would build up. It would swell up in their hearts as part of God. Hey, I, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's going on, but here's what I do know. I'm a very small part of this, and there must be someone or something that's, that's, that's way beyond me. And their hearts were led to wonder. You and I? Man, we're not impressed. There's a big balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Big deal. Yeah, stars. I see them in, you know. They're way cooler on Google Images anyway. So, like, who cares? Like, we, that's, that's our nature. 
I remember in the Ben Stiller movie, while we were young, uh, it's him and Adam Driver, and they're just, you know, these two, like, total different generations. And Ben Stiller and his wife go have uh, dinner at Adam Driver and his wife's house, and they're kind of hippie-ish, and there's a moment they're having a conversation where they're talking about Tom Petty, and they're trying to figure out where he was born, and uh, they're kind of they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Ben Stiller, who's the older, uh, like, he reaches into his pocket, pulls out his phone, and he goes, can we just look it up real quick? And Adam Driver's character goes, no, let's try to figure it out. And so they just sit there in this awkward silence for, I mean, honestly, it's maybe 10 seconds, which can feel like a lifetime. And then all of a sudden, Ben Stiller goes, can I look it up now? And Adam Driver's character goes, no, let's just never know. Let's just wonder. And for us, like I said, that's, it doesn't feel good. We run from it. But I want you to know this. Every encounter with Jesus, everyone in the scriptures, even if you disagreed with him in the Bible, every encounter led people to wonder. That even the Pharisees who had a hard time with Jesus, the scripture would say they would leave amazed, caught up in the wonder of who this guy was. Or let me put it uh, maybe in a negative way. This is, this is why this is important. Just a side note. All, all of sin, all, all of the moments where you and I look at God and say, hey, no thank you, I want to do this my own way. All, all of rebellion against God is just a distorted wonder. That's all it is. That, that something else, instead of wonder of God and who he is and the magnitude and the beauty and the treasure that he is, there's, there's something in you that steps into something and goes, maybe, maybe this will fix it. Maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will complete me. And the wonder of it led you to worship in that, which is what led us away from God. It's what sin is. It's just a distorted wonder. Paul David Tripp, in his book, All, would say it this way. He says, theological instruction. So think about even today. Theological instruction that does not arouse wonder is broken. Meaning that in the mornings, if maybe you're brave enough to open this up and spend time with Jesus and, and digging into this word, if it doesn't stir wonder in your heart, it's broken. Leadership development, for those of you in the workforce. He says developing leaders is not just downloading knowledge or in the Christian world, ministry skills, but it's calling people to lead with hearts captured by the wonder of God. Parenting, I love this, for the parents in this space. He says the great battle of parenting is not the battle of behavior. Let that sink in. The great battle of parenting is not the battle of behavior. It's the battle for what kind of wonder will rule your children's hearts. What kind of wonder will rule the hearts of your children? So can I ask you, when was the last time that you were overcome by wonder? Not, not just curiosity or admiration, but all inspiring, ground-shaking, undeniable wonder. Whether it be a first kiss or a child's first breath or the ocean sunset or a mountain peak at sun, 
rise, a symphony orchestra, a medieval cathedral, the lost gift of wonder, don't miss this, is the secret to experiencing the magic of Christmas that so many of us have lost and long for. Wonder draws out, us out of ourselves and into that which is beyond comprehension and explanation. And it reframes and reshapes the realities of our lives and it refuses to leave us the same. That's the power of it. And in Luke chapter one, the announcement and then the birth later on of Christ is the wonder of wonders. Yet, does it awaken in you a deep abiding sense of wonder? Or... We're like, Drew, man, we've done this before. We've, we've taken this trip. We've, 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 we got it. Like, it's almost like it's old hat. And we're almost like, you know, in a lot of ways, ugh, too early to make a COVID uh, joke. We'll, we'll make a flu joke. Um, it's a lot, a lot like getting like your, your, your flu shot. You get just enough of the flu in your system so that you get inoculated to the flu, so that you're not affected by the flu. And sadly, I think so many of us, especially in the holiday season, and we step into this space and we, we get just enough of the Christmas story or just enough of the gospel that it just goes into our veins and now, now we're not affected by it. Now we're unimpressed. It's just we're here because this is what we do. It's just tradition. It's just religion. We'll get through the holidays and then things will go back to normal. But when's the last time? that you were caught up in the wonder of it all. This Advent season is a sense of awe and anticipation at the reality and the mystery that God was willing to draw near to you and I. That you don't have to perform anymore. That you don't have to fix yourself. You don't even have to run to God because he's running to you. That God would be willing, don't miss this church, to leave his throne room, to leave heaven, to leave the kingdom of God and come to, to our little ball of dust that's floating through the atmosphere. Like just like that he would come here and that he would put on flesh and that he would be born in a, a feed trough in a barn in the middle of nowhere. Like that's the God of the universe. Not, not in a palace, not where he deserved, but there, like in humble beginnings. And he came here to live the life that you and I could not live as hard as we tried. And he ends up dying the death that you and I deserve because we miss it. And so this, this Advent season should build into us wonder, the mystery of God. Or have we lost all of it in the familiar wave of consumerism, anxiety, and stress? Church, we have to learn to cultivate a life of wonder. But the question I know many of us are asking are how? It's cool, love it, in theory, but how does it work, Drew? How does it actually play out Monday morning? Well, I wanna give you four very, very practical uh, pieces. We're not seeing these actually in the text, but it's not far to kind of reach here. But these are just honestly from the life of Jesus that he teaches after, obviously, he's born. And so uh, these are just helpful things that I've been learning in this season, okay? So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write these down, okay? Because you probably won't remember them tomorrow unless you do, okay? If you need to pull out your phone, do the notes app, do your thing, okay? 
But number one, in this season, how do you restore wonder? Be childlike. Be childlike. It sounds a little silly. No, I'm not saying be childish. Be childlike. Jesus, in Matthew 18, the disciples have this big argument about who's greater. Like, who's the big dog? Out of us disciples who are following you, like, who, who's at the top rung? Like, who's impressing you the most? Who's, who's the most religious out of us? Or who's the most polished? Who's the best speaker? Like, they're having this debate, and Jesus says this in Matthew 18, uh, really, and we'll just uh, go to verse 3. He says, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like a little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, hey, like these children that are honestly outcast of society, that the disciples try to push away, he goes, hey, unless you come to me like these children, you're gonna miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Now, real quick, this is, this is another sermon for another day. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, uh, our brains naturally go to, okay, tickets to heaven, okay? So if I gotta get a ticket to heaven, so when I die, I go to heaven, I need to be more like a child. So this has to do with faith, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what Jesus is communicating when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is right now, right here, today, the kingdom of God is accessible to you and I. Dallas Willard says it. He says, Christianity is not how you get heaven when you die. Christianity is all about how you get heaven before you die. How you can actually walk in the kingdom of heaven right now. And what he's saying is, unless you come to me like a child, unless you come, yes, with faith like a child, but also think about this, children are filled with wonder. They love the mystery and the magic of the world around them. There's no pretense in children. There's no performing. They're fully present to the moment that they're in. They don't live in the past or worry about the future. Children are filled with wonder and everything is awesome to them. So my encouragement in this season, would you do something in the next few weeks that makes you feel like a child again? that makes you feel like a child. I think some of us have gotten maybe too grown up for our God. We've outgrown him. And God loves the magic and the wonder and we're not impressed. He invites us into the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. But he says, hey, you, you, you've, you've gotta get this whole grown up, have it all figured out, try to perform and pretend for everybody around you. You gotta let that go and you gotta come to me like a child. So what's something that you could do? Is it, I mean, and it could be as simple as like maybe decorating the house in a different way. Like building in some new traditions that, that return you to your childhood, that begin to restore some wonder in your life. But what would be childlike in this season for you? Second, I'll move through these faster. Number two, be present. Be present. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That this season, enjoy your holidays moment by moment. That too often we spend our time in the past with regret or guilt or resentment or sadness or we're stuck in the future, imagining the future in apprehensive manner. And when we do this, what we end up doing is we convert the treasures of the present moment into despair of past events or angst of future events that may or may not ever occur. 
And so be present. And learning to be more in the moment is a great way to maximize every joyous moment in the season. This has probably been one of the biggest lessons I've been learning in this sabbatical season. How to unplug and actually be present. We went on the sabbatical, and I'm going to be really honest, it took about three weeks for the RPMs in my heart to just begin to slow down. For me to finally feel unplugged and be fully present in the moment. And it's so difficult. Why? Because sometimes the present moment is hard. Sometimes you've got kids that are screaming and you don't know what it's like. It, or it's just, some, it's just like that, like that moment, or maybe it's just like the moment of sitting in front of someone and it's just, gosh, just the wrestle of being fully there for someone else. It's so much easier to pick up this phone and answer an email. It's so much easier to dream ahead. It's so much easier to worry about the past. But what does it look like for you to be fully in the moment? To be fully alive to what's happening right here and right now? Just side note, have you ever noticed, like, if you think about your vacations that you take, when do you enjoy the vacation? You ever thought about that? Like, when do you enjoy it? Real talk, it's rarely in the moment. It's usually the anticipation and the buildup before. And then watch this. It's the slideshow or now with your phone where you show everybody the photos. Oh, look, here we are. We were in the Grand Canyon. It was amazing. You're like, hey, you were freaking out and stressed out that we were going to miss that bus when we were at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you complained the whole way in. But like, I'm enjoying it aftermath. Church, listen, I love you. And I don't have this figured out. But I don't want us to live our lives and enjoy our lives in retrospect. I, gotta, I don't want to look back on my daughter, who's three now, and go, man, do you remember those days? Like, you remember when she would just sing songs and then she, it was so hard to get to sleep and she just wanted to snuggle all the time? Ah, oh, like, remember that? It was the greatest. And you're like, yeah, Drew, you complained the whole time. You couldn't wait for her to get out of that stage. And the majority of our lives, we're longing for the next stage while looking back and reminiscing on the last one. What would it look like in this season to be fully present to yourself and to those around you? Okay? Three, uh, my encouragement, remove expectations this season. Remove expectations. There's a huge difference between anticipation and expectation. Uh, when Jane and I were going through premarital counseling, one of the major things that we learned and our biggest takeaway was that most arguments and conflict all stem from unmet expectations. That I, I thought it was going to go down this way, this is how I dreamed it up, and then it just, no, that's not how it played out. And now I'm upset, now I'm disappointed. But Jesus, he models for us this, this, this ability to anticipate without expectation. And we see this on like the night that he's going to get arrested and put on a cross, Man, I mean, tons of anticipation. He knows exactly what's about to happen. But his response to the Father is like, hey, God, if you, Father, if you can take this away from me, if there's any other way to save humanity that I don't have to go to the cross, if there's any other options, I, I want that. Please let that happen. And it's almost like the Father looks at him and goes, no, Jesus, this is it. This is the only way that we can save the world and rescue. Your blood is the only thing that will ransom a people back to me and Jesus' response is, not my will, but yours. Not my expectations, but yours, Father. 
Like, I don't have these expectations, but I do anticipate what's happening. Expectations, don't miss this, often lead us to anxiety. Anticipation leads to excitement. Expectations are all about achievement. This is how I thought it was going to go down. I really thought we were going to hit 10 streets of lights, and we only hit three. I was really hoping that those sugar cookies were going to be great, but somehow we accidentally bought chocolate chip, and then we burnt them. Like, all those are expectations that are about achievements and checking things off the list that often lead to anxiety. Anticipation is all about moments that lead to memories. Anticipation. It's different. I used that example just a second ago, but imagine when you go, hey, listen, my hope tonight for our family is for us to be in the moment and to create some memories. Sure, I would love to knock out 10 streets. We'd love for us to be able to, you know, maybe sing some songs by the fire or maybe us make some cookies. And, 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 you know, and when you have kids, usually the holidays and that whole, all that expectations are all met. They're perfect and the kids are perfect. No, what usually happens is everything catches on fire. And you end up maybe doing three streets before one of the kids is sick and you got to get home. And because you were taking care of them, the cookies get burnt. There's no way you're going to try to sing songs. You don't have it in you. But when you move it from expectation to anticipation, then you remember that the point is to create moments, to be present for my kids, and realizing that that story will be the story that we tell 10 years from now. Not the one where the night went perfect. But do you remember that night? And we set out until he got sick and she was throwing up in the back and then we had to go home and then Lennon had a blowout and we burnt the cookies. And we still ate every one of those cookies. Or we gave them to our neighbors. Uh, that's a difference, being in the moment to create memories. Okay, last one. Remove... Remove the shoulds. Remove the shoulds in your life. The Christmas season is filled often with things that you feel like you have to do or you should do. Uh, Austin, our counselor, says all the time, he's like, people are just filled with shoulds. They're just shooting all over themselves. And uh, she's like, I should do this. I should do this. I have to do this. I do this. And we do that. We, in, in the season, there's a lot more pressure. And so then it's just filled with even more shoulds. And Jesus, in Matthew 11, he, his invitation is this. He says, hey, if you're exhausted, if you're worn out, if you're tired of all the shoulds, come to me. He says, for, for my yoke is easy and, and my burden is light. Jesus is communicating that the traditions and the religion and the law of the past was a heavy burden for people to carry. And it led so many people to weigh down lives of performance. But Jesus came to give them freedom from a life of shoulds and lead them into a life of get to. And I love traditions. And there, I mean, there's so much beauty in them. And we don't want to throw those out by no stretch of the imagination. But you have to be careful that they don't become shoulds instead of get-tos. So maybe in this season, run through all the things that you should do. Make a list. And then begin to maybe counterbalance them with what were things that maybe you could do. What could you do this, this season a little bit? Like real talk, one of the number one, we talk about traditions a lot when we have people over and one of the things I hear the most is how much like the expectation of build, like cooking and all the buildup of, of Christmas lunch. 
and how people, just, they don't even like turkey and all that stuff, but they do it anyway. It's a tradition, and it's a lot of stress, and it's a lot of worry, but what, who says you have to do turkey on, on Christmas? Like, like, obviously, some of us are past that, but, but what if you go, hey, you know what our family really likes? You know what's really special to us? Lasagna. So do lasagna, because you get to. Like, to not think, like, okay, well, we have to do this. We have to decorate a certain way, or we have to spend $100 on each family member on presents, and we're probably going to go into debt, and we're going to be stressed all of January trying to figure out how we're going to pay these credit cards off. Like, what if you could minimize and just go, you know what, as a family, and you just communicate this, we decided that we're just going to buy a book that we think each one of our family members would enjoy, and that's our gift to our family this year. Like, you just can we be honest? One, as adults, like, we buy everything we want anyway. Like, we don't, like, our Amazon purchases are crazy. You wait on nothing, okay? And so here's the only difference. Here's the difference between Christmas time and the rest of the year. You make an Amazon list wish, and you just go, hey, I was already going to buy these things, but if you just want to go there and just pick one out for me and just buy it. And so then they just literally, this is our Christmas. If somebody hands me a gift, and you're like, thank you for getting that exact same thing that I told you that's on my Amazon wish list, and you just cross that out. Like, it's this weird, like, thanks for buying this for me. But there's no... There's no magic in it. There's no wonder. Like, and then it's stressful. But, but what if? What if we just said, hey, or, or draw, draw a name and just buy one gift per person of your family. Now, listen, I, I know, listen, family is dy- dynamic. And listen, I'll just be honest. This is what we're trying to do this Christmas. And it, a lot of opposition from the family, uh, the in-laws. Um, but we just kind of set boundaries and said, this is what life like would look like for us. We've spent way too much on medical bills, and we're not going crazy this Christmas. And so we're going to do, we're going to be low-key. We're not going to travel this Christmas. We love that. It's a part of our tradition. But this year, our son, we need to stay home. So what is it that you could do in this season and not things that you should do? Now, all of this wonder is leading us somewhere, okay? This is where we're going to land our time. It's not just for wonder's sake. Wonder has a purpose and it leads us somewhere. So think about this. What does Mary do after getting caught up in the wonder of God? She worships. She worships. In verse 38, she says this. See, I I am your Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you said. She says yes and offers all of herself to God's will. This wonder in her leads her to worship with everything that she has, including her body. And this reflects Romans 12, 1, where it says, listen, that in, in light of everything that God has done for you, that he's shown up, the wonder that you're experiencing, your response is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless. Like That's your spiritual act of worship. That's exactly what Mary does. She receives this, and it leads her into worship. Wonder leads to worship. It always leads to worship. Wonder leads us to worship, but it also leads those around us to worship. I noticed this in the text. It's really funny. In between, uh, right after this story, Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who immediately begins to worship with her. Gets caught up in the wonder and begins to worship. Even, this is the only time we see this in the scripture, the baby inside of her womb, six months uh, into the journey, begins to leap inside of her womb and um, worships as well, filled with joy. And then, 
Mary busts out into song. And she worships publicly with a song. In verse 46, this is what it says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation to on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arms, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mary's response to wonder is worship. She begins to sing and she's like, hey, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. Wonder always leads to worship. Mary's song here is called the Magnificat because it's the very first word in Latin in the song. And it's one of the most famous songs in Christianity. It's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight. And this song has even been set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. It is the gospel before the gospel. It's this fierce, bright shout to triumph. Listen, 30 weeks before a barn in Bethlehem and 30 years before a cross in Calvary. This song, Doriana, it's a bop, okay? It goes with a clap, a head bob, and a sway. And it's all about God. It's all about anticipation and wonder. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Jesus who's only just been conceived and not even born yet. Anticipation that leads to wonder always leads to worship. I think one of the places on our, in our country that stirs the most wonder, it should be the church, but sadly it's not, uh, is, is Disney World, okay? Like, that's like its whole thing. It's like it's the magic kingdom. It's all built about wonder and magic. And, and here's what's interesting. Like, you don't even have to have kids to go to Disney. And the moment that you step into it, like, all of a sudden, like, your heart is overwhelmed by it all. Like, you get caught up in it. You, you swell with magic. Like, no one. Like, could you imagine, like, going with my kids to Disney and walking in and, uh, and you know, Tilly's freaking out and she's excited and she wants to see all the princesses. And I go, hey, come here, sweetheart. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Real quick, real quick. Before we run in here, let's talk. All of this is fake. Okay, this is not real. Keep your expectations low. That's not really Mickey. It's a person in a costume. It's not really the princesses. Okay, like you go, you're a horrible human. Uh, why? Because in that moment, I stole and robbed the wonder and the magic from that little girl. 
And the truth is, listen, even as parents, we know all those things and we enter in, we get swept up into the wonder. Let me prove it to you. How many parents, like you, as a parent, like, or even as an adult, you want to take pictures with Goofy and with Donald. And there's a part of you that's like, yeah, this is going on my wall. I'm going to put it on the gram. This is, this is really Mickey. Like you, you suspend belief, you get caught up in it. And watch this. It inevitably leads to worship. The wonder of it all leads to worship. And if you're like, I don't know if that's true. Watch the millions and millions and millions of dollars. Most people average is five years worth of savings to take your family to this place, get caught up in the wonder, and worship follows it with all of the, with the hotel and the rides and the trinkets and the food. And you worship hard there. But we also know when we come back, parents, it's all of a sudden filled with regret because that worship didn't lead us where we were going. Wonder always, always leads us to worship. The question is, where is our wonder placed? And my hope and my prayer is in this season of Christmas that you'd get swept up in it. This buildup, is, is we're in, we find ourselves in the in-between of, of looking back and celebrating the coming of Jesus, the Advent season, him coming as a child, but then we're also anxiously anticipating the second coming of Jesus. That he's gonna come to make all things right, to make all sad things untrue, and to rescue his bride and inaugurate the kingdom of God here. So we, we look back and we celebrate and we look forward with anticipation in this season. But my prayer, my hope, is that this Christmas season would be filled with wonder, okay? But I can't make that for you. You're gonna have to, you and God, you have to piece that together. So here's what we wanna do. We do this every, at the end of every sermon, but it's so important. We want to give you 120 seconds, just two minutes, for you to pause for you to be present in this moment, to not worry about what you're gonna do for lunch or who you're hanging out with afterwards or what chores that you gotta take care of the house or what you gotta decorate or what you gotta cook, whatever it is, be present right here in this moment. And I want you to answer two questions. God, what are you speaking to me today? What, or maybe, maybe, maybe this way, what are you inviting me into? What could wonder look like in this season? What if that's what marked this season for you in 2021? And then the second question is this. How are you going to be obedient to that? How are you gonna step into it? Not because you should, but because you get to. Because you get to be obedient. So take this 120 seconds, you and God, and just process between you and him. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.